This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. It would be much easier for us to heal ourselves if we were still connected to our natural state of bliss. When we are born, we arrive free and clear of fear that we aren't good enough or unlovable. Nothing has yet happened in our environment or experience to implant this message, although there are rare occasions when imprints happen in utero. This is our pre-wounded self who never questioned our lovability or has only been treated with love. They are truly a bundle of joy. That is our natural state and our birthright. But when we are wounded, we all experience living in an imperfect world. And we can lose that open, blissful, and loving state of being and spend the rest of our lives searching for it or trying to earn or buy it back. The problem is that most people are looking in all the wrong places when the state we're looking for is already inside of us and always has been. We only need to look within. TJ. Valeria interviews T.J. Bartel, the author of Great Lover Blueprint for Men, Eight Steps to Awaken Her Sexuality and Blow Your Lover's Mind. T.J. Bartel is a relationship expert, life coach, educator, and couples coach with a very unique approach to conscious sexuality that integrates modern neuroscience, cutting-edge personal growth techniques, and ancient tantric and Taoist wisdom. He has nearly 20 years of experience and proven excellence in the personal development field. TJ is a highly successful entrepreneur who shares his expertise in workshops, masterminds, and coaching programs worldwide. Mr. Bartel specializes in personal transformation, evolutionary education, and conscious sexuality. His techniques integrate perennial wisdom from the Taoist, Vedic, and Tantric traditions, Egyptian mystery school teachings, modern neuroscience, guided meditation, and innovative personal growth techniques. TJ's primary goal is to create lasting and meaningful change and transformation in individuals and the world. He also enjoys supporting people in creating exquisite relationships, which will ultimately lead to positive benefits for themselves and everyone in their lives. TJ Bartel has made it his mission to bring more love to this planet and to support others who wish to do the same. He developed a keen interest in human behavior and personal growth in his teen years, which inspired him to earn a bachelor's degree in psychology. After attending the Tony Robbins Master University, TJ discovered his talents for transforming lives positively. He was so motivated that he continued to research how he could better help others across the globe in their relationships and sexual intimacy. Throughout his career, TJ has earned many advanced certifications, taking a wide variety of classes to support his mission and improve his life. Today, TJ shares his expertise both online and through in-person workshops, having mostly retired from hands-on sexual awakening. Meet TJ at tjbartel.com. Here's the interview with TJ Bartel. In your own words, who is TJ Bartel today? Well, that's a really good question. I'm somebody who's constantly evolving. I'm thirsty for knowledge. And I believe that I'm here on the planet to spread massive amounts of love and joy to as many people as possible. And I do this through uh, one-on-one sessions, energetic sessions and sexual activation sessions that are created through the art of Tantra. Um, I do it through teaching workshops all over the world and writing books and articles and blogs and, uh, you know, just being myself, being able to affect the people around me with my energy by walking my talk, doing my work, 
by constantly uh, feeding my body and mind by treating my body as a sacred temple and teaching other people to do the same by example, as well as through my teachings. That's beautiful to hear. And what comes to mind as a question is, how did you come to be where you are today and do what you do today? What was the inspiration behind all this? Well, on one level, I've been doing it my whole life for whatever reason. I grew up with seven sisters in a, a fairly wild world and uh, surrounded by gangsters and thugs and things like that. And even though I learned to be very tough and how to fight and all those things, um, I'm reminded by old friends of mine how I was always talking about being more kind, more loving, more tolerant, and um, in more harmony. But then when I was in my early 30s, I was in the hospital with several hernias. And a girlfriend of mine showed up to visit me, and she brought her good friend Jessica, who was a Taoist, and a very devout Taoist, as well as a nurse practitioner. And uh, she said something to me that really rang true, that really deeply affected me, which is, um, she said, the reason men get hernias is because they're giving away too much of their life force energy and not saving enough for themselves. So they're literally bursting from the inside out. And she said, if you don't change, you will be dead by the time you're 52. And you know, it wasn't the first time that I'd heard you know, things from women about life and stars. And, but this mm -hmm. time, for some reason, it was different. I mean, it really rang true in my body. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? And she said, look, you're supporting, at the time I lived with two girlfriends who I was supporting, and I was supporting a few of my sisters in a lot of ways, and my my parents and my brother and, you know, a whole team of people. I had a construction company, and I really just took really good care of everybody in my life. And I always asked myself what the most loving thing to do was. What I wasn't doing back in those days was was including myself in that. I was sacrificing and uh, sort of martyrizing myself to a certain degree. But because I, I looked good and I felt good and I, had, I was surrounded by beautiful women who wanted to please me, I was under the impression that life was, was perfect for me in these ways and that I could give away money because the universe will always take care of me. And, but I was really depleting myself. And so she left the room and she pointed out to me that I was doing this. She said, you know, you're supporting her, you're supporting people. She goes, I don't know what, how are you going to change it? But if you don't change it, you know, you will be dead before you're 52. And so when she left, you know, I, I looked up at the ceiling, which I really don't do. I don't believe that God lives in the sky, <laughs> right. but I looked up with my hands over my head and I said, how am I supposed to do this out loud? And I let my arms flop down next huh. to me head. And the remote control had been under the covers, uh, which I didn't even know was under the covers. And it turned the TV on to an infomercial for Tony Robbins. Are you looking for change? And, you know, I had worked with Tony Robbins off and on since I was 18 years old. I went to my first Tony Robbins workshop at 18 years old. And then again, in my early 20s, I was on this fighting team and we went to his workshops a lot. And... I had decided I was too cool to go to his workshops because of all the high-fiving and the dancing and all those things. But um, I didn't think I needed it. But in this moment, he was I felt like he was talking directly to me. So I asked a question. I got an answer. I immediately signed up for his Master University, which is his biggest event, his deepest offering, but all his latest books and products and read them all. And then I went to uh, the program, um, Master University, and there's life mastery, which he teaches you all about health and rejuvenation and energizing and alkalizing, et cetera. Um, and back then, Tony didn't believe in sleep either. Uh, so I wasn't still sleeping a lot. And uh, most of the people I was around said, ah, you can sleep when you're dead. And, uh, but, you know, one of those workshops was called Date with Destiny. And in Date with Destiny, he uh, was doing this meditation. Now, first of all, there's so many of us, there's thousands of people jumping up and down, getting in peak states. We're all sleep deprived and slightly dehydrated, and high-fiving and dancing and screaming and clapping like crazy and listening to his 
constant words of affirmation. You know, everybody on the planet has a purpose and a reason and everything that happens to you happens for a purpose and a reason. And if you're asking the right questions, it will serve you and things like that. And then suddenly the lights go off and he goes into a quiet meditative voice and leads this guided meditation where he's, we're all in peak state from jumping around and then suddenly we're in peace and quiet. And he, he leads this meditation and in, in the meditation he's evoking and invoking a deeper part of us, getting us out of our standard brain waves and getting us into a deeper brain wave and accessing our autonomic nervous system. And you probably know this, but our bodies process literally a million times more bits of information per second than our brain. So I'm feeling like I'm really in my body and my brain is quiet. There's no monkey mind. And then he says, you know, the closing statement of the meditation, which is, again, every single one of you is here for a special reason. You have a special purpose. And um, he turns the lights on and says, now just take your pen and put it on the paper. Don't write. Just let whatever is in your body and, and soul come out on the paper. And I keep in mind, at this time, I was a biker. I was sort of a playboy. and You know, I won't get into all the details, but I definitely was teaching workshops or anything like that. I had a construction company, I had about 20 employees. Um, and I put my pen to the paper and it wrote, I'm here to save the world by spreading massive amounts of love and joy to as many people as humanly possible. And then he said, and I, it felt again, like the realest thing I'd ever experienced. Mind blowing, shocking, surprising, all of that. But at the same time, it felt really, really real. And then he says, okay, do it again and again. And then he says, okay, write something else. So, okay, I'm here to you know, continue doing the work I'm doing. Uh, nothing. I'm here to make movies. Nothing. I'm here to make music. Whatever. I wrote many, many things. And then he says, okay, write it again and again. It was sort of like a full body orgasm, the waves of energy running through me. And I just knew that it was real. And Tony has you add to the end of it while thoroughly enjoying the process. So now I have this mission statement, which really didn't make a lot of sense to me. And um, I, you know, I didn't understand it. And at the, the first day of the workshop, he had picked me out of the crowd for some reason. Oh. And the, I had no idea why I was there. And I've read all his books and he talks about how masculine men know what they want. And I had no idea why I was there. So I was kind of trying not to let him see me. And back then I was really big. I was lifting a lot of weights. And yeah. um, he said, you big guy with all the muscles and a tiger stripe tattoo. <laughs> what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> He's picking on me yeah. for. Yeah. And so he stand up, stand up. And long story short, uh, he asked me something I wanted to manifest. And I said something and everybody cheered. And after that, everybody was hugging me. So for throughout the workshop, I had about a two hour line of people hugging me. And they would say, you know, you hugged my roommate yesterday and he said it changed his life. So, I, you know, I just continued to do that because I didn't know what it meant. And then when I got this mission, I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be hugging people. But how am I supposed to make a loving living? You know, I'm supposed to be like Ama, you know, and I'd seen yeah, Ama. Yes, yeah. um, so I continued asking this question. Long story short, I fast forward two years later, I'm on Tony's staff volunteer staff traveling around the world with him helping people you know with their goals and you know doing the coaching and uh hugging people constantly spending the majority of my time hugging people yeah. and uh i i was starting to feel discouraged you know because it costs a lot of money to go to fiji and the virgin islands and you know even though i was relatively successful with my construction business i wasn't that successful and i was still supporting a lot of people um so at some point I had met a woman and she wanted to go to the next event and stay at the nicest hotel. And uh, we were going to split all the fees. And, you know, then I had her come and visit me in San Jose. And I realized she was very young. I realized that she was less mature than my son. And I realized she was not the one for me. And so I broke it off and we decided to still be friends. She said, hey, let's still go to the workshop as friends. So the first day we, we met there. We went to the workshop. I came back and there was a note. I'm sorry, I can't be around you. I'm madly in love with you. I had to go. And now I have this very expensive hotel room I'm paying for by myself. And so I go to the workshop, you know, do my hugging and do some guiding. And I, I break off on my own. I'm sitting at a table by myself. 
And I'm thinking, you know what? I need to get out of here. I need to see if I can get out of the hotel bill and just see if I can move my flight up and go home a week early and, uh, you know, figure this out. And so I'm sitting at a table and this young man walks up to me who I had talked to several times and hugged many times. And he walks up and he says, hey, oh, my God, it's TJ. And, hmm. you know, can I have a hug? And I give him a hug. And then he's like, are you going to the XYZ? I don't remember what it was, event. And I said, actually, no, I think I'm going to take off tonight. And he started to cry. Oh. He got all choked up. Right. I said, wait, you can't leave. Like, you're the guy I want to be. Like, you're the person who, you're the reason I'm here. And mm. And so I said, okay, okay, I'm, I'm not leaving. I'm fine. He's kicked off, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sitting there yeah. thinking to myself, what am I getting myself into? I started to doubt the whole mission statement thing. Like maybe this is a hallucination. Maybe it's not real. Maybe I just need to go back uh, to my company and, you know, get back to my life. And, and I was sitting with my hands in my face and I felt something very soft suddenly run past my neck and my shoulders. And I look up and there's this, incredibly gorgeous woman with a bunch of Sanskrit tattoos in her body. And she was changing her sweatshirt and, and she mumbled something under her breath. And I, it felt really important to me. And so I said, well, I'm sorry, what'd you say? And she said, I'm, well, I wasn't talking to you. Sorry. I, if I said something, it was a mistake. And I said, well, it seems really important. Whatever you said, would you mind repeating? And she said, well, I've been in Africa leading a journey, uh, a silent retreat for the last 30 days, so I'm probably talking to myself, never mind. But here I'm, I'm sitting at a table away from everybody, and I'm thinking she must have come over here for a reason, conscious or subconscious, and got my attention. So I said, well, look, I, you know, I, I'm at a point of decision in my life, and I'd really appreciate if you would tell me what you're saying, what you said, because it seems really important. So she stared into my eyes more deeply than anybody ever stared into my eyes, and she said, okay. Um, I used to date this Tantra master, you know, he lived in India, he was in ashrams and he learned this, you know, sacred art of Tantra. And one of the tools was called sacred spot massage. And he would give me this massage, this internal massage. And no matter what was going on in my life, I would return to a place of love and joy and all my problems would go away. And I said, well, can you teach me this? And again, she looked in my eyes, felt like she was measuring me very deeply. And she said, sure, let's go. So we spent the rest of the weekend in her bed. And into the weekend, she said, you have a gift. You know, you're already far surpassed anybody I've met, including my boyfriend who'd been doing this work for 20 years. Seek out Charles and Caroline Muir in Santa Cruz, California. And I hadn't even told her where I was from. Santa Cruz is basically my backyard, a half hour away. So I got home. I looked up, I looked them up and they had one book. I read it, ordered it immediately. I had a couple of products. I read them. And then I, they didn't have a workshop coming up for a long time. But when they came to workshop, I went to the workshop. Still very skeptical. He didn't seem like the kind of guy, especially in the videos. I didn't really like his energy or, you know, I, I thought, you know, he's kind of woo-woo and way out of the, the comfort zone for me. But when I met him, I was able to see a different side of him, which was a guy who was in the army and he was in the street gang as a kid. And, he became a yogi later on in life. His story is quite amazing, but I won't take too much time out of that. So I started, you know, doing his work. And within a year, I was teaching next to him. And I taught with him for 16 years, uh, as well as teaching with other people all over the world. You know, within a couple of years of doing the work, I was teaching all over the world with many different teachers, all women except him. He was the only male I worked with. And, uh, you know, I learned that that technique. And I started doing DACA work, which... You know, one of the major tools in DACA work is the sacred spot massage, which is how to activate somebody's sexuality and help them go from a place of numbness and pain to multi-orgasmic bliss. And uh, in that process, you know, I'll I'll digress slightly. I've always been fascinated with personal growth. So I started reading personal growth books in high school and college and started creating my own school of thought within a year of meeting Charles Muir, uh, studying with Montauk Chia, as well as all the things I've learned from Tony Robbins and a whole bunch of other teachers, including, but not limited to Deepak Chopra and Ram Das and Wayne Dyer and a bunch of people like that. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what a journey, listening to you. A rich one. All the questions disappeared, but one is left. I don't have a lot of um, knowledge 
about Tantra, I have asked, I think, some of my guests, not too many of them. And I remember asking the question about what is it? Like, what is Tantra? And one person told me, ah, some people, they have this misconception that Tantra has to do with sexuality or sex, but it's not true. And then I don't remember what he said. I don't remember if it was a woman or a man anyway. But now I ask you the question to you. Is Tantra something that is directly connected to sex and sexuality or it's a practice that can be done in a different way? It can be accessed differently. Well, what is sad is that there are so many people out there teaching Tantra who really don't know what Tantra is. Yeah. Um, So Tantra is the ninth yoga. It's a yoga that evolved from the other yogas because there were some aspects of the other yogas missing. The, the first aspect is energy and sexual energy, Shakti, uh, as well as the understanding how to recognize, navigate, influence, cultivate, and move energy through principles and practices. And yes, sexuality is one of the pieces of Tantra. Anybody who says it's not is going back to the old yogas, which, you know, a lot of spiritual traditions and religions, they are uh, afraid of sexuality. They demonize it and they avoid it. But Tantra is holistic. Tantra is the yoga of love and delight. It's about cultivating all of your senses, your sense of awareness, so that you can be a more conscious, loving, present and blissful person. It's about increasing all of your senses so that everything tastes better and smells better and feels better. And it's not only about sex, but the tantric principles and practices help people become more powerful, uh, generous, and pleasurable lovers. They teach people how to have better sexual experiences with a deeper connection. And the truth is, Human beings are our most alive when we're deeply connecting with another human being. So there's white Tantra and red Tantra. White Tantra used to be taught, you know, and there's also different kinds of Tantras. I studied Native American Tantra as well as Hindi and pre-Hindi Tantra. So the lineage that Charles Muir teaches talks about the ancient Tantrikas having this practice where they started teaching Tantra to the children from the time they can walk, which means they're doing yogic poses and energetic movements. They're learning how to control, navigate, and master their own sexual energy. And sexual energy is like a wild horse. You either master it or it runs wild. And if somebody's sexual energy is running wild, then they might be hyper-promiscuous or they might be unable to have orgasms or they're prematurely ejaculate or not have erections. So they would teach people how to master their own energy through these principles and practices of breathing, you know, different types of pranayama, asanas, which are yogic positions, movement, and being able to sound and open up the shishimna, the inner flute, and the throat chakra so that they can move energy efficiently and effectively and masterfully. And then these people would come together and have an arranged marriage somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. And then together they would use these practices in Red Tantra so that they could align their practices and create deep, deep love. And the truth is, if we use these practices, we can we can create biochemicals in our body, the biochemicals of love and bliss, oxytocin, dopamine, phenylethamine, serotonin. And through the laws of neuroassociation, if you're doing that with another person, looking deeply into their eyes, you start associating these heightened senses of love and attraction with that other person, thereby creating a deep, powerful, loving, and sexual relationship that thrives throughout their lives. So this is how I teach. Now, I also believe that Tantra is holistic in the way that we don't say mine is better than yours. This is my problem with religion, is that a lot of religions say, oh, if you only practice ours, then you're going to be okay. But if you practice anybody else's, you're going to burn in hell. (laughs) Or if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your savior, blah, 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 blah. And I believe deeply that Jesus was a tantrika. He wasn't a Christian. He was a Jewish guy with dark skin who 
believed in loving everybody and he believed in and not judging people by their skin or their gender or their sexual preferences or where they came from or how much money they have and people have perverted his his thoughts and processes and because i believe who he was i've read every book and and every lecture i could about the guy so i believe that tantra is different than religion because we accept everybody and every philosophy bring in your religious beliefs because god belongs in your body and i also believe that jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within and what that means to me is that through meditation which jesus did he sat alone he meditated through meditation through principles and practices which tantra offers Taoist, Taoism offers some of these two we can create our own state determine our own happiness or misery by mastering our own energy and not being so heavily influenced by the news or by uh, facebook or by who pe what people say about you and cultivating your ability to be blissful more of the time to be loving and kind and generous and personally responsible and having the principles and practices to bring us back to our natural state. Now, I believe that pre-wounded, pre-programmed, and often pre-verbal, pre we loved ourselves unconditionally. We loved everybody unconditionally. I'll take my granddaughter, Malia. She just started going to school like a week ago, a week before the Christmas break anyway. And she still loves everybody. Anybody who pays attention to her is a beautiful person in her eyes. And when she wakes up in the morning, the algorithms that run through her body, her primary question is, how much fun is today going to be? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, and yeah. at some point we go to school or we go to church and people tell us things that change that. Like, if you don't do this, you're you're going to burn in hell. Or if you don't do this, you're a bad person. And pretty soon that that program that, that we were running that allows us to be blissful and happy most of the time turns into questions instead of how much fun can I have today what is wrong with me what, what why am I not enough and why are what's wrong with everybody else and then those questions become our reality and then we start becoming less and less alive less and less healthy less and less likely to have high functioning relationship with ourselves and others true so it is a path it's a spiritual path and it's not for everyone. Like in my case, I have tried different paths, so many of them. And now I know that my path is the path of knowledge. So my studies are always, it has been that way, really. I just didn't listen to it. And then I got kind of distracted. But now I know. So that's why my studies are, it's Vedanta. That's what I do today. My practices, everything has to do with the, that path of knowledge. Oh, yeah, I have another question about Kundalini. What, is that the same, similar? So Tantra Yoga and Kundalini Awakening? No, it's not the same thing. It's just one concept. Tantra is, like I said, it's an embodiment practice. Now, so is Vedanta, you know. Ah, I mean, mm -hmm. I, and I have also studied the Vedas and read them. And, and, I, and I have Vedic practices that I do on a daily basis. Uh, and I believe they're very much in alignment. You know, but no matter what it is, if it's only knowledge, if you're not practicing it, you know, you're falling short of, of what it's really there for. Right. Kundalini right. is, okay, so in the tantric texts, um, if you listen to the sutras and, and things like that, or you, you listen to the way a lot of people teach it, is just uh, coiled energy that lies at the bottom of your spine. And it's wrapped around the bottom of your spine, and it sleeps and lies dormant. And this is conscious energy. And it is awakened through sexual energy or spiritual practices, one and the same really. And when it awakens, it spins around the chakras on the way up, activating and uh, awakening the chakras so that the gifts of the chakras are now more available to you. And then eventually comes out of the crown and meets with the spiritual consort, which is consciousness itself, which is Shiva. So uh, Kundalini Shakti is the full name. And because it's a coil, they depict it as a snake. And imagine that it moves like a snake around these uh, coiled energies, which the chakras are just 
nerve ganglia that's up and down the spine that generates pulsing energy that swirls. And the, each area is, has a domain of organs and glands that it's responsible for and comes with a uh, gift and a need, among other things. So anyway, it's, uh, and then it comes out of the crown and meets with, with uh, an enlightenment type of energy. It doesn't mean you're finished being enlightened, but it means that you've come to a stage of awakening to where you're no longer asleep. And, you know, but there is kundalini yoga, which can be very dangerous. There are kundalini practices, which I teach to advanced students only, because people who do a lot of kundalini yoga but don't ground enough wind up becoming very dysfunctional. And I've seen it happen more times than, than I can count, where they're doing fire breathing and they're doing other kundalini practices, but they're not practicing grounding or energetic responsibility. So they're not one and the same. Kundalini is one thing that can be taught in the vast uh, polyphora of tantric practices. So sometimes it happens naturally for some people, right, TJ, the kundalini awakening? I have interviewed some people here, and that's what they reported. Well, you know, here's here's what I believe, okay, is, is that if somebody has a spiritual experience, some people say through having seizures, which are some of the things that I had, uh, that, that reason I had that hospitalization and that death and near-death experiences through grand mal seizures, a lot of people will say that you can awaken your kundalini that way. Um, but I believe that it's all about a practice of kindness so if you run if you run energy through your body in the way it's designed to be run without all the negative programming yeah sure it can open automatically naturally it's possible but i've also met countless people who say their kundalini is awake which which to me doesn't seem true now our our body is designed to be very well taken care of and you know if you're doing yogic poses you know, if you're really practicing Tantra as the way I see it, you need to be flexible enough to move around a bed or a yoga mat and not hurt yourself. You need to be able to, to move and breathe and sound in ways that are uh, that allow your energy to move in a healthy way. And energy is very much like water. If it's not moving, it is becoming stagnant. They teach this in the Ayurveda too, right? You got to get the phlegm out of your body and the lethargy because energy needs to keep moving. And so if somebody walks up to me and, they, and they're, you know, 100 pounds overweight and they say that their kundalini is awakened and they're a tantra master, I, you know, I don't judge because I believe judging is, is not what we're supposed to do. But I measure with my body and... I don't find what they're saying to be legitimate. Somebody who's awake, who's spiritually awake, knows that it's not just a, a thought process. You have to embody it. But when you are embodying it, I believe that, yes, that your, your Shakti can awaken itself. But I think the most powerful way to awaken it is to by, by having an active and fulfilling love life in which you're able to, to douse your body with these biochemicals for long periods of time and you're able to move energy up and down your shishimna, which does not happen if your throat is closed and you're not making sounds. And people often get stuck in the throat chakra because they're not communicating their needs effectively, they're not being heard or they're not receiving. The throat chakra is very much like a radio station. It is what broadcasts our desires to be manifest, and it is where we receive all our spiritual messages back. So if it's opened and you know somebody doesn't know it, then their kundalini is probably waking. I could take take my friend Joel. He's you know I, although I have trained him on how to do certain things so that he can be sexually competent. He's just somebody who's always been a kind, generous, balanced person. He has a very open throat chakra from being a singer, and he's done very little tantra practices. And I would say yes, his kundalini is awakened, and he hasn't done a whole lot of tantric stuff, but it is rare. This woman that I interviewed, she said that, yeah, that it is real. Her was very spontaneous, and it was, um, she said that it's not common. So it's um, interesting to hear that from you, too. So it makes sense to me. Oh, my God, I would talk to you forever about this. But so before I go on with other questions here about spirituality, you know, I wanted to mention and ask a question about your book. So you have a new book titled Great Lover Blueprint for Men, Eight Steps to Awakened Her 
sexuality and blow your lover's mind. So talk to me about what the book is about, which we already actually, we have an idea now, but more specifically, and also your intention. What was the intention of writing this book, this latest book? Well, you know, I've coached hundreds of couples who were on the brink of divorce uh, to get to a place where they're more in love than they've ever been. One of the major complaints in relationships is a lack of polarity. You know, the man becomes too feminine, the woman becomes too masculine, then they no longer are sexually attracted to each other. And, you know, what happens in, in, from the energetic perspective is that our energy becomes uh, dysfunctional in some way. And instead of figuring out the energetic recipe to uh, repair it and come back into harmony, people make up stories. It's because she's a blank and he's a blank or whatever it is. And um, one of the ways, one of the most powerful ways to harmonize the energy is to get into your natural state of femininity as a woman and as a man to get in a natural state of masculinity. And this is also true of same-sex partners, but more true when you have a physical male-female body relationship. And um, then learning how to touch each other how to communicate with each other in and out of the bedroom, and learning how to activate sexual energy together and separately. And also, so this book is for men. I'm also writing one for women, one for couples, and one for children, and one for seniors, all the great level blueprints. But this particular one is really how to be a masculine, solid man who is also emotionally available and who is in touch with his is masculine and feminine nature. And in that process, learning how to uh, allow a woman to feel so safe and cared for that she could surrender into her feminine and able to give her a sexual activation session, which includes, assuming it's appropriate, sacred spot massage, which is one of the best ways to activate orgasmic energy, which is also the best way to activate the Kundalini. Um, so it's really a man's guide on how to be the best possible version of himself in and out of the bedroom. Question that comes to mind is you mentioned natural state of masculinity, femininity. What would that look like? Like from your perspective as a man, what is um, that natural state of being a man? What would that look like or feel like? Our, our pelvis is the driver's seat of our human body, right? So if... Um, you're around a man who's masculine, you're going to feel safer. And he's going to be more present in that part of his body, which means he's going to be more productive. He's going to be more protective. He's going to be more present and uh, more powerful. He's going to be stronger and more likely to make clear, powerful decisions. Now, for a woman, you know, we both have we have both, right? Masculine and feminine energy. We need to be able to to move from one to the other, which is one of the things I teach and love to teach. For a woman, when she's in her natural state of femininity, she is the most powerful manifesting machine in the universe. She is able to create things and uh, influence people in a way that that is just beautiful and divine. She's able to flow with her words and she's able to, to affect everybody in the room. When a woman is in her feminine, she walks into a room, every man notices. We do these exercises and workshops and women report back to me that, you know, normally when I jump on the train, I lift my, my bag up and I struggle and, you know, I look around, there's no seats and, you know, but after being in this workshop and being in my feminine, I walk in, every man's fighting over who's going to help me put my bags away. And men are jumping up and saying, take my seat, please. And when a man and woman are in a relationship and the man is in his masculine, in his natural state of masculine, and the woman is in her feminine, they're very attracted to each other physically, spiritually, and sexually. We actually lose touch with that. That's interesting. I wonder what are the obstacles to... Um remaining in our natural state of masculinity and femininity, that, that balance. It's the same obstacles that we have to being our most powerful and high-functioning versions of ourselves, which is societal norms, uh, church and state. You know, it's, so if you think about it, 
when uh, the suffragette movement came about, which was very much needed, and women's lib came about, and women started saying, don't scoop my chair out, don't order dinner for me, don't make decisions for me, don't open the door for me. And women started going out into the world and making money and being powerful. Um, in order to do that, they have to go into their masculine, which is in their chest. You know, the masculine chakra for women is your chest and it, it is outgoing. So if you open up your remote control, you'll notice there's two batteries and each battery has a plus and a minus and they're set in the opposite direction. This creates the polarity that sends the signal out to control the stereo or the computer or the television or whatever it is. And when that happens, then both batteries are in the same direction, right? So there's no, it's not broadcasting the signal in the way that it's naturally meant to. So um, when a woman goes into her masculine like that and she's in a relationship with a man, the man has several choices. He can fight her and usually that ends up in either a very unhappy relationship or a breakup in more than 50% of first marriages and in divorce and that increases as, as the marriages increase. But relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend type relationships end 90% of the time or more. And that's one of the reasons. Right? So the other thing is the man can do is become emasculated. And then he becomes more feminine and he lets her, you know, treat him in a way that doesn't feel good to his body. And which eventually results in uh, erectile dysfunction and unhappiness or cheating or lying or some other kind of dysfunction. Or he can stay in his masculine and learn how to communicate with her in a way that, that uh, allows him to be in his masculine without becoming a jerk. That is really, really rare. Um, but if both partners learn this and they're willing to do polarization and harmonization exercises, which is a big part of Tantra, then they, it's also important to understand energetic efficiency, which is the foundation of my, my practices. Our most precious resource is not money or time or fame. I've worked with some of the most famous and rich people in the world, and I've worked with some of the poorest people in the world in the, the ghettos of Central America, of the slums of Delhi, and some of the happiest people I've met have no monetary value whatsoever because they're accessing and resourcing energy differently, and they're not programmed in the same ways that a lot of us are. So the masculine-feminine dynamic comes about, and people fight. They make up stories about why. It's because you said this, or you said this, or you did this, or you don't do that. Or it's because of my parents, or the President of the United States, or because whatever. And when I just tell people, drop the stories and move the energy. And, and Tantra is uh, very much about learning how to master your own energy, how to move the energy, and through breath, movement, sound, and visualization. And so I tell people, get up, go for a run. You know, if they hit the punching bag, dance, do something, move the energy, and then I teach them a format on how to come back and communicate in a way that is energetically efficient and in incredibly effective so that they don't spend a lot of time arguing and waste that precious energy and how to harmonize their energy so they're more attracted to each other and more supportive of each other. And so they create more harmony in their lives and all of their relationships. And this very much affects the kids. People who are doing these practices are much more effective, loving and supportive parents as well. I love everything you say because it makes so much sense to me. Right. Harmony. That's such a beautiful word, idea. Uh, when realized, it's just, um, it changes everything. Thank you so much, TJ. You're about to say something. Yeah. The last thing I was going to say is around energetic efficiency. Um, there are two major vibrations on the planet. One is love, which has a very high magnetic vibration. When we're vibrating in the energy of love, all the glands in our body plump up and all the the subatomic particles spin in a way that creates more energy in our body. It allows us to tingle, you know, and, and we become our healthiest, highest functioning versions of ourselves. We ask better questions. And it's the quality of questions that determine much of our happiness and misery. You know, if we're asking the wrong questions, we're getting answers, you know, if, what's wrong with me? Well, you're this. Or, um, and when we're vibrating in fear, it's the opposite. It's a very low pooling vibration that creates toxicity in our body and those same uh, 
spinning um, atoms and subatomic particles are now spinning in a way that creates toxicity in your body and the glands shrivel up and they draw energy instead of creating energy and we have uh, less ability to ask better questions and make better answers and so you know when we're driven by fear we are easy to control and we are unhealthy when we're driven by love and we're asking these questions of how much time can i spend in my natural state of love how quickly can i come back to it then we are the healthiest, happiest, highest functioning versions of ourselves. And I say high functioning, which means we spend less time doing the things that, that hurt us and more time doing the things that bless us. And we Tantra is about choosing love as much as humanly possible. That's what all of my books are about. And this is what spirituality is about, self-realization, which is getting to know ourselves and, and learning as much about ourselves and each other as humanly possible so that we can make the best choices, the best decisions, so we can have the best quality of life, the best quality of relationship with ourselves and every other person in our life and every person that we meet and leading everything and everyone better than we found them. I love your work. Uh, the first book that I interviewed you about was The Soldier of Love. And I remember having a beautiful conversation around spirituality again and love itself, of course. And now again. So by reading parts of your book, chapter six caught my attention, as I said, off record, understanding energy. And that's you have been talking a lot about energy. And what came to me, which is the title of this episode, when I saw this, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. You say all healing is self-healing. So that really caught my attention in a sense of connecting that phrase with another one. Let me see where um, I have it here for the title. All healing, self-healing, all love is self-love. The message from your work, from this book specifically, that um, was communicated to me, that it is by loving ourselves, healing ourselves, that we get to expand and share that energy. So it starts with us. It, that's the message that you're putting out there from my perspective. So I thank you for that, TJ. Absolutely. Before we say goodbye, we're almost at the end for today. I would like to ask you a few more questions, the ending questions. But before that, is there anything that you left unsaid for today's conversation? Well, since we were on the topic of, of healing, um, a lot of people will claim that they can wave their hands around somebody and, and heal them. And, you know, our brains and our bodies cannot tell the difference between something we vividly imagine and something that's actually happening. They have proven this in science. They hook you up to every monitor ever created and have you go through an experience, have you remember an experience, have you watch an experience on a screen. So if you're vividly in the moment, the monitors act the same. So, yeah, just about anything is possible in that way. But if I got shot, I go to a doctor, they remove the bullet, they sew me up, they do all that stuff, but my body has to heal itself. So, you know, when people say I'm a healer and I can heal you, I, I feel like it's, they're, if people really believe them, they're taking the power away from the person. People need to believe in themselves. They need to believe that they can heal themselves and that they can create whatever quality of life they like. That yes, you need resources. By definition, love is unconditional. And, uh, by definition, all healing and self-healing, people do the best they can with the resources they have. So the people who realize the best they're doing is not good enough for them, they seek out new resources, which is what spirituality is about, right? Learning more how to create the life, the love, the energy, the relationships that you desire. What do you love most about being in the human body or being the human body in this moment? Well, I love the the effect that I have on other people. I, I love creating joy and, you know, playing with my granddaughters and making them crack up, you know, teaching people things that transform their lives and their relationships. It really feeds me. And I love connecting with other people on deep spiritual levels and on deep sexual levels. I love the human body. And I believe that you know, the human body is a great gift. It's a sacred temple, and it is the vehicle for our transformation spiritually on this planet. And, 
You know, I, I enjoy being in the body that I have. And yes, I've abused it through sports and, and things like that. But I honor it and respect it as much as humanly possible. And I've created, I've turned my body into a vehicle and a vessel for pleasure. I have more pleasure in my body now than I ever have. At 59 years old, I'm happier than I've ever been and uh, more alive emotionally, physically, spiritually, energetically, and sexually than ever before. That's a, a wonderful experience to have. And that's what I Indeed. wish for all of us, to be able to be free enough to enjoy the human experience the way you do. Thank you so much, TJ, for uh, the inspiration, for sharing you and your message and being the message. It's just beautiful to listen to you. It's freeing. <laughs> that word again, it feels like freedom because that's what you passing on to us. Just let's be more free. Let's let the energy flow. So thank you for being open to life. My pleasure. And before we say goodbye for today, what's the best place to find you? How can we learn more about you and your work? Uh, my website, tjbartel.com. Um, you know, I haven't been putting a lot of energy into social media or YouTube um, because I spend so much time with people. And I'm not overly concerned about how many people buy my stuff. I, I used to be. Um, I really just want to get the message out. And at, at some point, I might put energy into that. So for now, my website is the best way to, to get a hold of me. And um, to write me emails at tj at tjbartel.com. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again for your presence and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, TJ. Thank you. Have a good one. Blessings to you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about TJ Bartel and his work, please visit tjbartel.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.